Welcome to the Girl Means Business Podcast. I'm your host, Kendra Swalls, a former teacher turned entrepreneur here to help you navigate the messiness of mom life and biz life. Each week, my guest and I will share our experiences, insights, and tips to help you move your business from survival mode to success mode. So grab your favorite drink and let's dive in because this girl means business. Hey there, and welcome to episode 190 of the Girl Means Business podcast. As I'm saying that number out loud, like it's just blowing my mind that we are only 10 episodes away from 200 episodes of the Girl Means Business podcast. It feels like just yesterday I was sitting on the floor of my closet with the voice memo app on my phone recording episode one with zero clue what I was doing. I mean, in full Enneagram 7-ness, I came up with the idea to create a podcast, and three days later, I'm sitting in my closet recording the first episode. And here we are, 190 episodes in, and the crazy thing is this is the thing that has been the most consistent in my business for the last three years. I have not missed a single week of this podcast, and I have yet to feel you know, knock on wood, I have yet to feel burned out by it. I truly, truly enjoy this podcast and the people I've met and the stories we've been able to share and the conversations we've had and the people I've met that listen, not even just the guests on the show. Those are incredible connections. But those of you that are listening on a regular basis and that have found me through the podcast or have connected with me through the podcast has been so amazing. So thank you to everyone that's been here. And I'm curious, my question to you is how many episodes have you listened to? Now you don't have to go back and count all of them, but I'm curious to know, like, are you five episodes in? Are you 50 episodes in or maybe 150? So head over to Girl Means Business on Instagram, shoot me a DM and just tell me like, how long have you been listening to the show and what's something that you're really enjoying about it? I would love to hear from you. All right. Today, We have a really fun topic. We are going to be talking about online course creation, how to create your first online course. Now, this is something that I think is so beneficial with, I know that there's this whole idea that there's, everyone has a course, everyone has an online course. Well, there's a reason because everyone buys online courses. I want you to stop and think for just a second, how many online courses or programs have you purchased? How many of them have been really beneficial and how many of them have been kind of so-so? I think it's probably 50-50 for me, but I would say I've probably bought into 25 plus courses over the last decade of my business, maybe more than that. I really don't know the exact number, but online courses in the online course industry are a huge moneymaker and it's a really great way If you listened to the episode a couple weeks ago with Jessica Stansberry, this is a great passive income option. And so if you are looking to add income to your business and you're thinking, I want to create an online course, today my guest is going to help walk us through how to do that. So today I'm chatting with Melissa Guller. She's a course creation expert and the CEO of Wit & Wire. She helps creators turn their skills and passions into profitable online businesses. Before starting Wit & Wire, she worked full-time in the online course industry as the senior launch manager for um, an eight-figure course builder course business and was the director of marketing for Teachable, which is the number one online course creation software. So she has an incredible YouTube channel as well. Um, Again, I'm going back to episode with Jessica Stansberry, who's on YouTube. I've been binging a ton of YouTube um, content and hers, Melissa's is one of them. She has a ton of content on course creation and how to use Teachable if that's a platform that you're looking into using for course creation. But today she's going to give us some really practical, like step-by-step information on how to create our first online course. And if you're worried that it feels overwhelming or tech heavy, I promise it does not have to be. And she's going to give us some really great resources on how to kind of work around that. So let's go ahead and dive into my conversation today with Melissa. Hey, Melissa, welcome to the Girl Means Business Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited too. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, okay, let's get into, or before we get into our topic today, which you are our course creation, 
expert here. We're going to get all into how to create a course and why you should create a course and all those things. But tell us a little bit about who you are and kind of how you got into what you do now. It's funny. I used to say that I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. But now looking at the business I run, this was never on the list of college degrees. So the way I've gotten to this point where I run my own business is by saying yes to opportunity. I graduated with a music degree, didn't quite feel right to me to go in that direction. So after a brief stint in event production, I ended up in the education tech industry. And that really started to open my eyes to see, first of all, that we crave knowledge. We want to either improve our skills or parts of our lives. And you can do that in so many ways. And then that led me to work for Ramit Sethi, managing his eight-figure-a-year course launch team before I got poached, fortunately, by Teachable, the course creation platform. And I worked there for four years. And now I run my own business where I help people create and launch their own courses. So I think I have a really unique perspective in the industry because I've worked for a huge New York Times bestseller. I've worked for the software. I've done it myself. I've taught in person. And now I feel so lucky that I get to help more people earn money online, doing work that they really enjoy. Because I think life is just too short to stay in a nine to five that you hate. So I'm really excited to get into it today. Yeah. I, know, I could not agree more. Life is definitely too short. And I think that the it, we're in a really cool part of history, I think right now, where people are realizing. And I think with, you know, if you want to say something good that came out of this whole pandemic was that people realized, like, I don't have to work in a cubicle or an office or a traditional role in order to be successful and provide for my family and make money and feel feel fulfilled. I can't never say that correctly. Feel fulfilled. Okay, there we go. So, um, and I know that for a lot of people creating courses and digital products and things like that are, is a way for them to make income um, and to have a, an online business. So it's definitely something that that people talk about a lot. And coming from, I was a teacher for 14 years. And I was all, when I left the teaching world and was running my business, I was like, man, there's so many teachers who keep asking me, like, how did you do this? How did you do this? I'm like, this is a a group of people who have so much knowledge and so much information. Like, why are more people not using it to create something? And so I think that's where I want to start with our conversation today is the idea of who should be creating courses. So I'll just kind of, and it's a very broad question to give you, but who should be creating courses? In its simplest answer, I really believe anyone could create and sell their own courses. I will say, I think in terms of a starting point, you might be a little more ready if any of these describe you. If you have previously worked one-on-one with even a small number of clients, just kind of having that feel for what a buyer wants and how you could help deliver an outcome to that person, I think is a great starting point. Maybe you also have a great skill professionally that now you're trying to shift from that nine to five into doing something on your own. Maybe neither of those apply, but you've started building a small following online, whether it's through YouTube, podcast, social media, TikTok. If you're starting to feel like there's any kind of momentum where people are asking you about your expertise, I think that's a good early sign that you're onto something. And if you haven't gotten those signs yet, you could just be earlier on in your journey. But in terms of like, what industry do you need to be in? Or do you need to be guru or an expert status? Like, I don't believe any of those are true. If you have it within you to help other people and you've achieved a result for yourself or for somebody else, I believe you can be a course creator. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you've been listening to the Girl Means Business podcast for any amount of time, then you know my love of email marketing runs deep. Not only is it a great way to generate new leads, but it's one of the most effective methods for nurturing warm leads and turning them into sales. Now, over the years, I've tested several email platforms, and my favorite by far is Flowdesk. Not only do they make email marketing simple and easy, even for the technically challenged, but they have everything you need to create stunning emails, capture leads, make sales, and automate the entire process, giving you time back in your busy day. And the cherry on top is you're only charged one flat fee no matter how many subscribers you have. So while other platforms will increase your price when you go over your pricing tier limit, Flowdesk has no price increases or hidden fees. If you're ready to give Flowdesk a try, click the link below in the show notes to save 50% off your first year. Let Flowdesk help you design emails people will love. Click the link below and check it out. I have a feeling you're going to love it just as much as I do. 
So you mentioned there like the idea of being like an expert or a guru. So I think this is a big sticking point for a lot of people. And we're going to kind of get into the mindset, I guess, of course creation for a second, which is how do you get past that feeling of, well, I'm not an expert, so I don't know that I'm in the in a position to be teaching other people, or I'm not far enough along in my journey to create a course for people. So what, like, what do you say to somebody who's kind of in their head a little bit, kind of creating that roadblock for themselves? I think it's a huge common mindset block, especially because a lot of us who are very like service oriented, like we want to be helpful. I've found that those people are the most likely to hold themselves back and worry that they don't quite have enough to give. But if you think about even just a friend coming to ask you for help, or in my old full-time jobs, I was always the go-to Excel girl. People always came to me for help. I didn't have any kind of certification, but people always felt a sense of relief when I could finally explain something that they couldn't untangle on their own. Yeah. So a lot of people talk about the fact that you only need to be a step or two ahead of your buyer. But to even take that one step further, I think if you look at the gurus, the big names in your own industry, sometimes those people are just too far ahead for your ideal buyer to even fathom how that person could understand them. And the fact that potentially you have gone through this experience yourself or helped someone else more recently, you're only a few steps ahead. I think people like that because they can relate to you even more. So I think it's both an advantage and an opportunity to be a little bit earlier on and your buyers will be interested in talking with you and learning from you because of it. Yeah. Oh, that's a great perspective. Cause I do hear a lot of people say like, Oh, you just need to be like a step or two ahead. And that's great in theory, but then that imposter syndrome kind of sets in and you're like, Oh, but, but am I getting like, who am I to be putting this out there? So another question that kind of came to my mind here was for someone who, and again, I come from kind of the photography and then industry was my first business. And I know there's a lot of photographers that are really, really skilled. And like you mentioned that you were kind of the Excel person, like that's who people came to you because you were good at that. And you probably could have taken that and completely run with it. And you could, you know, cause you had a skill that other people needed with photographers. I see the same thing. And this could be for any industry. I'm choosing one I'm familiar with is that you have these photographers who are really skilled at some aspect of what they do. Like there's some that are incredible that work with Photoshop or they have a really, this incredible knack for getting authentic moments out of like families and little kids, or they, you know, are super skilled in the tech side of things. And the problem is they think, oh, but I have to be good at every aspect in order for me to create something. So can you kind of walk us through the idea of like, how can you figure out like what it is that you should be or could be creating a course around without feeling like you have to, again, kind of be the expert in all the things? Ultimately, what people want to buy are solutions to their problems. So when I talk with my own students about what makes a profitable course idea, it's a combination of figuring out what does somebody already desire because we can't create desire in other people. And I think where it starts to feel salesy or tough to sell something is when you believe you have to convince somebody to want it. But instead, if you start not by asking what skills you have, although we'll circle back to that, instead figure out like, what does my audience need? What are they actively searching for? What is the pain point in their life? What is the gap between where they are today and where they want to be? And if you can identify what that is, then you can figure out how your skills can help them get there. So for example, with Photoshop, There could be countless different courses that somebody might create that have the baseline skill of teaching somebody Photoshop. But depending on who you're teaching and what their goals are, the course is going to be very different. Are you teaching a freelancer who wants to use that skill to book gigs? Are you teaching a photographer who's doing something for more of a hobby? Are you teaching a total beginner? Are you teaching a UX designer? Like there's just so many people. And if you can't get the clarity on who it's for and why they want it, it's going to be really hard to figure out what your course should be about. So I would ask yourself, what is the existing desire that somebody in my audience has? And how can I help them go from where they are today to where they want to be? Okay. So you brought up another good point there, which is, again, kind of going along the idea of sort of roadblocks that people come up with in their mind is they might, we'll use the Photoshop example and kind of run with that one, is that someone who is like, okay, I am really good with Photoshop. I'm great at creating these kind of artistic images out of ordinary photos and using my Photoshop skills. But there's so many people that already teach that. 
So why should I kind of throw myself in the ring when there's already so many people who are quote unquote better or further along than us? So how can we kind of break that mindset as well? It's definitely something I hear all the time. And I think it's a great question. The counterintuitive truth is that the more competition you see, the more that validates demand that this idea is profitable. Because if somebody is willing to pay for somebody else's Photoshop course, that is a little indicator, I call them profit indicators, that somebody would be interested in paying for yours as well. And often the best course ideas that you have are the ones that have already been done. And the way that you'll stand out is not by having this brand new topic that no one's ever done before. It's just by having your unique approach to that topic Or potentially it's for a slightly different audience or a more niche audience. But even in the world of course creation, photography, there are so many courses on all of these areas. And that's a good sign. It shows people are interested in reaching that outcome. So I know it's kind of tough. And I will say as maybe more of like a mindset recommendation, I don't follow my direct competitors. There are a couple of times throughout the year where I'll do intentional research, but I don't think it does any of us any good to compare ourselves to what a direct competitor is doing in the marketplace. So I would say, find them, acknowledge them, bookmark them for sometimes, but don't spend too much time looking at them. But it is definitely a good sign. It shows there's demand for your idea. I like that. I hadn't thought of it that way. It's like, yeah, that does validate the fact that other that people want this. Because if you're trying to put something out there that's never been done before, it may be that there's no need for it. That's why it's never been done before, or it's been tried and failed, that kind of thing. So I like looking at it as a sort of proof of concept type angle. Um, Okay. So what about the question of, well, should I create my course and then create kind of the audience around it? Or should I wait until I have an audience and then create the course? Like it's the chicken and the egg. What comes first, the following or the course creation? People have been asking this for years, and I'm sure we will continue to ask it for years to come. And I do, of course, think that if you have an audience, that's a great starting point, not only literally because you have people to sell to, but again, it's about idea validation. You have people who have said, I am interested in this outcome that you're talking about. So that is a great starting point. But I do think there's a myth that you, a lot of people talk about where you believe you need a big audience before you can sell courses or that you have to be like fully booked at capacity with clients to have a course. Again, those are great signs, but you can also build your audience by selling rather than build an audience to sell later. I think it's all about just managing your own expectations. So for example, if you expect to launch a course and enroll 50 students, but you barely have an email list or any social media following, you are probably setting yourself up for disappointment. Not because the course won't sell over time. It's just because it won't initially launch with 50 students. But instead, if you adopt the mindset of, you know, I'm a little bit newer, what if I just got five students to join me in more of an MVP, minimum viable product mentality, something that's pared down and simple? What if I started there? And then what if I continued to enroll people over time? This does kind of allude to my overall philosophy on course creation. I call it the course lifecycle method. And I believe after what I've done in my business, what I've seen through Meet and Teachable, that the most successful courses use different teaching and marketing strategies at different stages of growth. So yes, it's true. People want the passive income. They want the huge audience. They want things to sell on autopilot. And for that strategy, you would need to start with a big audience. But in the way that I've done it and what I've seen work really well across different industries is if you start with simpler teaching strategies, simpler, less massive marketing initiatives, then you can kind of gradually grow over time to the point of having sustainable income building into your business. And I will say, I think another advantage of starting small as a business is that fewer people need things from you. Like the downside, a a blessed downside, but a downside of having a huge audience is that more people want stuff from you. You got more clients, you got more students, you got more emails, you got more stuff to reply to. But when you're smaller, you really have the advantage of figuring out like who are these first few people that I can focus on. So I think each audience size has its advantages and both can work for course creators. Maybe just to wrap it up though, if you've never sold a product on this outcome before, I do think it's worth considering selling a one-on-one service at least a couple of times first, just because it's fastest to sell. All you need is the simplest sales page ever and the ability to collect a payment and you are in business. And I think when you work with people one-on-one, you have the opportunity to work out your own system of how you would help somebody reach an outcome which will become the signature system that goes into your course. So I think there are advantages to starting with one-on-one, even if you do intend to scale with a course. 
Yeah. I think that's a great idea. And I loved what you said about how there's different strategies based on where you are. I think people do get the idea of like, oh, cause there's so many people out there who are selling courses, the idea of courses as it is, you know, passive income, you just create it, put it out into the world and let it do its thing. And there's so much more that goes into that. And it does, it evolves and grows just like a, you know, a child, it evolves and grows and you have to adjust your strategy based on where you're at in that, you know, the life cycle of that program or course. Okay. So we've kind of covered a lot of like the mindset of, you know, when and why and how, or not how, but when and why and getting through some of those roadblocks. So if anyone's listening and they're like, okay, you've convinced me, like I am capable of doing this. Um, I have knowledge. I'm in a position to create something that people really want. I have an idea of something what people that really want. Let's get into like the actual process of creating a course. So can you kind of walk us through just sort of the, the getting started phase of designing a course? So after you choose your profitable idea, you would start by outlining your curriculum. And to me, this is really the foundation of the whole product that you're selling. And again, if you've worked with clients, you probably have the makings of a signature system. You've already worked with clients in a certain order. There are similar steps that you go through one by one. And so even if you haven't actually taught before, you may be surprised to realize that you have a stronger foundation of what I call a linear curriculum. You want to create a point A to point B experience. You want it to be very directed. You want to put it in order. A lot of people think it's better to give students freedom. But in fact, a lot of studies show that the more decisions that you have your students make, the less likely they are to reach their outcome. So you want to create the simplest possible path. And another mistake I see a lot of course creators make in this stage is they want to pack it in with as many videos, as much knowledge, everything that they can. But the more you give your student to do, again, the less likely they are to reach their goal. So the interesting dichotomy of a great course is that it is the shortest possible effective version of your own knowledge. And I actually spend probably hours paring down what I know to be shorter, more succinct, more resources like templates or starter scripts so that you can help people reach their goals. So that would be part one is mapping out your course experience in terms of linear sequence of steps. From there, you would start to actually create some of the curriculum. And I say some on purpose because thinking back to the course lifecycle method, the first phase of that, which is what all new courses go through. I call it the validate stage, where your goal is just to sell the course to prove that it's profitable. And a big issue I see with the big marketing strategies, things like webinars, paid ads, things that are objectively good ideas. The problem is if you launch a brand new course, and if you do a big webinar, you do all these paid ads, most people believe that the reason their product didn't sell is because their marketing wasn't effective. But in fact, what's true is that there's something called the 40-40-20 rule, which says if somebody makes a purchase, 40% of their decision is just, was it the right offer? 40% is, are they the right person? And 20% is creative. So 80% of their decision just comes down to, did you tell the right thing to the right person? So to me, that's why validate is so important. And getting back into this course creation process, instead of building the entire course first, which is potentially risky because you don't yet know it can sell and you don't have guaranteed buyers and you aren't totally sure even what that curriculum could look like, could take a long time. Instead, I want new course creators to create just the first maybe week or two of their curriculum. And after that, you would actually switch over into enrollment mode. You want to get people to pay you up front. And then as your first students go through the experience, you would be releasing content on a weekly basis. So in terms of the first version of your course, you would be outlining curriculum, creating maybe just the first week or two, and then you would be opening enrollment to get your first round of students and then delivering the course over a series of weeks so that by the end, you would be either ready to do potentially another kind of beta round like that, or maybe by the end, you have gathered enough information that you feel confident moving forward and creating like the full curriculum and moving more towards the automate stage. But those are kind of the essentials for new course creators. Okay. So there's a lot I want to kind of dig through there for a second. Um, so you're saying have the idea, like the topic, we're just going to stick with the Photoshop idea. So the idea is you're teaching photographers how to, to use Photoshop to create stunning pieces of artwork out of their clients' photos. You outline everything you're going to put into like start to finish, correct? Mm-hmm. And then you kind of pare it down if you need to. 
And so you're saying, don't go in and create all the content, just create the first maybe like piece of it and then put it out there and see if people are interested and get people enrolled. Exactly. Because what if maybe you have almost exactly the right idea? People definitely have a demand to learn Photoshop and many different types of people have that demand. But it's possible that the outcome of your course, the end point, wasn't exactly right or maybe didn't quite resonate. And so if you build the entire course, you risk creating something that might just needed a small tweak to be the exact right profitable idea. So what I want for new course creators is you definitely have the complete plan and having a week or two maybe of that starter curriculum is great, but you really want to get that offer out there. And I know it's scary because selling is very daunting, but just getting paid up front, even by a small number of students, not only validates demand for the idea, it also validates that it is worth your time to create this course. And what I really love is when your first students are going through the experience, I like to really over-deliver for them, offer maybe even some bonuses, like a one-on-one call for each student, things you will not do forever, but they'll help your students reach results, which means testimonials to help you sell in the future. But you'll also learn, where do they get stuck? What are the questions that I missed? I think there's so much value in having the first students help you shape what your curriculum should be. So by the end of what I call this validate stage, you've gotten paid once, you've enrolled your first students, they've reached success, and you have more confidence about kind of finalizing what the curriculum will look like so that when you build this course, which could be an asset that profits for your business for years, you know not only can it sell, but it's also effective, which I think is a big piece a lot of courses are missing, unfortunately. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, photographers, are you ready to make 2024 your best year yet? Growing a business is tough. You're following all the successful photographers and experts, soaking up their best advice and downloading all their free guides, trying to replicate their success only to come up lacking, blaming yourself when their methods don't work for you. But the truth is, it isn't you. Free content and one-size-fits-all courses can only get you so far. What you need is personalized help and guidance, but that can get expensive. Well, not anymore. I've created the perfect solution to get you personalized results for less than $2 a day. Introducing the Focus Photographer Lab, a one-of-a-kind coaching membership that gets you one-on-one results for a fraction of the cost of traditional coaching. Inside the lab, you'll find the three C's to success, classes, coaching, and community. With classes, you gain access to a treasure trove of pre-recorded trainings and invaluable resources. With coaching, you get monthly live trainings and Q&A sessions, along with my favorite part, the weekly one-on-one office hours, where we get to address your unique questions and challenges. And then there's the community, where you get to connect with an amazing group of talented female photographers who share your passion, supporting each other and inspiring each other to greatness. The best part is it doesn't come with an expensive one-on-one coaching price tag. You get all of that for just $47 a month. You can even try it for free for 14 days to make sure it's a good fit for you. And there is no contract and no obligation you can cancel at any time. So what are you waiting for? Head down to the show notes and click the link to learn more and get signed up today. And let's make 2024 our best year yet. Yeah, I like that because I do think that there's a lot of people out there who are kind of either teaching or people who have this idea that like you spend all this time in your office on your computer creating all the things, the the downloads and the videos and the templates, and you put all into this pretty package and you go sell it. And then what happens? Yeah, when you have you realize like, oh, this isn't actually working. It's not in the right order or I need to do this. You, now you have to go back and change the whole thing. So that first round where you're talking about like having people come in and kind of test it, that's like your beta round. So you're kind of, you're going through it live with them. Um, one of the blocks I could see people kind of maybe getting into, and if you want to touch on this a little bit is selling that beta round. Cause I think that there's a, there's this misconception, this idea that it's hard to sell something that hasn't been created yet. You know, we hear all the time, like sell it and then design it, sell it and then create it. That seems really scary for a lot of people because they're like, well, but what exactly am I selling? Like I'm, it's like, I'm selling someone an empty box promising that I'm going to fill it with chocolates, you know, but they don't, you know, they don't know that I'm actually going to do what I said I'm going to do. So how can we kind of shift that mindset of 
selling this course that we're creating, even though it's not a fully finished course yet? It is a super common fear. And I think it's because of the way the word like pre-sell gets thrown around as though I'm going to sell something that I haven't even conceptualized. Like at the point where we are going to make the sale, you have a clear plan. You've already done the research to have a good sense that this is a profitable idea. And you've started building just a little bit. But I want to compare why I think it's actually riskier. So we've talked about that, right? Like to spend all the time building the whole course, very risky. But I think where people maybe have this fear coming from is, well, what if people are disappointed? Or what if people expected to see the whole course on day one and they don't see anything? But the simple way to solve that is to tell people that they're first. Tell people this course is starting on this specific date. And on that date, either you could choose a live delivery or what's called drip delivery. Live is you actually just do like Zoom workshops for a series of weeks. Drip delivery means you release a batch of pre-recorded videos on a weekly basis. And as long as you're being transparent with people, my overall philosophy on sales is that people are smart. Buyers are smart. So if you treat them like smart people, they will respect you and they will make an informed decision with confidence. And so if you just tell them, hey, it's brand new, first time, it's going to be my best ever price. You're going to have more access to me. You offer them more certainty, more of your personal time. That's one way that you can negate that fear of like, what if it doesn't work? And to the box of chocolates example, for anybody who has client work, you're effectively selling them an empty box too. But for some reason, it feels very different for a course. But in a traditional one-on-one relationship, you're selling them on a proposal of a hypothetical work project that you will complete. And it's the same thing with a course. And the worst case scenario, if let's say somebody purchases and they are unhappy, well, they can get a refund. But I would bet for everybody tuning in right now that you would try to over-deliver and really help them. And that person would end up being really pleased anyway because people don't need you to have all the answers. They do not need you to have your curriculum run perfectly the first time. What really builds trust with students is when they come to you with a question and then you get back to them with a response. Because that is ultimately what they want. Mm -hmm. So I don't want anyone to stress about like, what if my curriculum isn't perfect? What if I forgot something? What if I miss say something? What if I say, um, a few too many times? People don't need any of that. They want to reach their goal. And if they can tell that you're sincere about helping them, that's what's going to sell them. And it's what's going to lead to their success. Yeah, the perfectionism thing. I know so many people that let the perfectionism of like, well, it has to look a certain way and it has to be polished and it has to be like, feel like it's this expensive thing or whatever. And really you're right. Like they, the audience doesn't care. They just want the results, however it gets delivered to them. And I think that one thing that kind of came to mind when you were saying all this was putting myself or putting yourself in the the seat of, as a buyer, like think about your own buying habits. Like how many times have you bought into something where maybe you didn't you know, there, it wasn't a full box of chocolates yet. It was just a, a partial or an empty uh, or, you know, for me, like I really love getting in on the ground floor of something, you know, like I, so I use Flowdesk for my email marketing platform and I got in with them when they were brand new and they were like, we don't have all the features set up yet. Like you're literally going to get the basics of what you need, but on a promise that you're locked in at this low price, you're one of our kind of like beta testers And we're going to grow on this together. And I had no problem. I was like, yeah, sign me up. Let's do this. Like, I think that sounds great. But yet as a creator, it's hard for me to remember, like there are other people out there, including my audience who are going to be okay being a beta tester as well, being on the ground floor, getting in and having access to something that maybe isn't like the Amy Porterfield finished product yet, but it's going to get there. And that's that's enough. I do think that the Flowdesk example is perfect because the tech industry has been doing this for years. Mm-hmm. And I shared the phrase MVP, minimum viable product before. But every tech company that I've worked for and even of the products that I've used, it's all about transparency. You know that you are earlier. You know you're getting a better price or more access to something. You know more features are coming. And because of that, you're not disappointed when it can't do all of these things. But what's amazing is when you're newer, if you submit a request, that tech company might actually create it. And the same is true with your course. Like if you have a way for students to submit requests to you, which could be as simple as them emailing you, and then you deliver, that is amazing. That is something that bigger courses can't do. Yeah. And so I think too often we associate that big, perfectly produced course as being somehow better. 
But I really think it's such a huge competitive advantage to be the course creator who only has a handful of students where you can over-deliver from them, respond to their requests, help them reach their outcomes, and then grow gradually rather than assuming the best way is just to hop right to the finish line. Yeah. Okay. So one more quick question that I'm going to move on to a little more of the technical side of this. What do you say to somebody who maybe like, okay, they're like, Melissa, this is amazing. I want to jump in on this. They go through all the things you just said. They outline, they create that first piece. They start putting it out there and it's crickets. Nobody signs up or like one person signs up. At what point do you maybe kind of go back to the drawing board and like, where do you start to dissect what part of that maybe needs to be changed or updated or tweaked a little bit? I think it's a super important because I don't want anyone to feel like it's a guarantee that your course will sell. Like I believe if you go through a certain set of steps, you can have a good sense of at least being in the right direction. But for some of my students and clients, that's been the reality. The first one didn't sell. And then they did have to tweak before it ultimately was profitable. And I think it comes down to two primary possibilities. The first is that it's possible your audience isn't big enough. If you put out an offer, but only 10 people follow you and they are all family members, being a little extreme, but odds are good that no one in your audience is in your target audience, in your target market. So I think the solution there is if you can kind of be objective, take a look and say, you know what, we're pretty early days. What if... I tried to just build up an audience around this topic. What if I could see, can I build momentum talking about this? And if you were to do that, what I would recommend is having a wait list. Because if you start to see people opting in, even though it's not a purchase, it's still what's called a micro commitment where they're saying yes to you and they're showing intent. And so that is, I would say, the most common reason that I see why courses don't sell is just the reality that there weren't enough people to see your offer. On the other hand, sometimes for some clients in particular who have had a bigger audience, they didn't sell as much as they anticipated. And it came down to the way the offer was positioned. I'm not talking about marketing. I'm talking about, did you sell the right thing to the right person? And so what's interesting about our own expertise is that we have our own sets of skills. Photoshop is a great example. That's a tool at our disposal. But people buy tools to serve a purpose. And so sometimes you've identified the right tool and maybe even the right audience, but you haven't really figured out like the deep, deep reason why someone wants to use that tool. And so even thinking back to our Photoshop people, some people work in advertising, some people are photographers. There's so many use cases. And if you can figure out exactly what a person in your audience wants to use this tool for, you need to prove that there's a value in reaching that transformation. So what I would say, if you have a bigger audience and it doesn't sell, is to get into conversation with a couple of people Not to say, why didn't you buy my thing? Instead, you just want to be open-minded and ask them like, what are your challenges right now as a photographer? What are your challenges as an advertiser? Like see where Photoshop would naturally come up and then figure out why is it that they want to learn this? Where are the pain points? What would make it worth it for them to buy a course? And usually it's just a tweak, but it is amazing how much that can make a big difference. So it's about talking to people or getting more people, one of the two. So I like one of the things I'm hearing you say is not once did you say completely scrap it and move on, because I think that's really important. I want to kind of reiterate that because I know I personally have done this in the past where I've been like, I created something, I launched it. It maybe had like two or three people sign up. I considered that a failure. So I scrapped the whole thing and like moved on when in reality, and as I've learned over time and working with my own like business coaching like that. One of the things that she said to me one time is she was like, Kendra, where would that product be now if you had just given it time to breathe and kept going and and modified and tweaked and made different, you know, made changes. So I love that you're kind of saying the same thing. It's not about like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It is take this idea, which you have already kind of created and researched and you know is maybe like the Photoshop thing. You know that that's something people want because there's other people doing it. You just need to kind of refine your version of it to make it what your audience is looking for. So I just want to, for people listening, it's not about you failed. It's not about this was a bad idea. It's about how can I take this and learn from it to make this better and more about what people want and need from me. I also think as a business owner, one of the best traits that we can have is curiosity around what might work. And I used to be Teachable's director of marketing engagement. We were doing tests all the time. And what I see with online business owners in particular, 
I think maybe because we're kind of on our own a bit more, all of the strategy falls to us, is that if a launch doesn't go right or if we try something and doesn't work, it, it, we see it as a failure. But in bigger companies and in marketing teams, that's just part of the like the culture. It's A-B testing. It's seeing what works. It's seeing what doesn't. What works for your business might not work for somebody else's business and vice versa. So I think one of the ways that I keep a healthy mindset generally about my business is that when I try something, it is just a test. It's a chance to learn. And if it goes well, I've learned that's something I should try more of. And if it doesn't, I've learned I need to maybe tweak something or try a different direction. But it helps me dissociate myself and my own value from the business. I didn't fail. This strategy taught me something. And so just kind of embracing, I think, the curiosity of business, the freedom that we have to try whatever we want and see how it works. I think that's really kept me grounded as a business owner. Yeah. And I like what you said about separating yourself from it because it's not a personal failure. It's not that they didn't buy because they don't like you. It's that they didn't buy because there was something in the messaging or the branding or this, the way it was, whatever it is, figuring out what that is. And to me, that's where like, and not that any time, anytime something doesn't work out is fun, but it's fun for me to kind of figure out the puzzle pieces of, okay, well, if I change this one little thing, how does that make a difference? And if I do this little thing, how does that make a difference? So like you said, making it more of an experiment, making it something that, you know, you're, you're getting to play around with as opposed to it's either a yes or a no kind of a situation. So I want to go a little bit into another thing that people kind of have a block around, which is the tech part of creating a course, because I think there's a lot of people who are like, okay, this all sounds great. And I want to do this. And I have this idea, but man, like the, it seems so daunting to create this thing. You have to have it, you know, the videos and the platform and all the stuff that goes behind it. So can you kind of break down for us, like what kind of tech requirement and knowledge is required for someone to build a course? I think people will be relieved to hear it is simpler than you might imagine. And today's tech is friendlier than ever. I personally love tech. That's the world that I came from. But I also enjoy simplifying. I'm not here to force anyone to do the biggest complex thing. I think that you'd be surprised perhaps in your whole business to see that simpler tech is often as effective, if not more. So when it comes to course creation, I usually talk about the four C's of course creation to give you a big picture of what tech is involved. So the first one is curriculum. If you imagine showing up to teach in a real classroom, you would show up maybe with slides, there might be handouts or workbooks, anything that you use to share knowledge and share action items with your students, that is all curriculum. And then as an online course creator, you have an option for your first round. Do you want to deliver it live over something like Zoom, keep it super, super simple, test out your curriculum? Or do you want to pre-record your videos where you would do what's called a screen share video, you would record your screen, and you would end up with a series of MP3 video files. So that's the curriculum C. The second C is classroom. This is where the tool most people have heard of, an online course platform, comes in. And the function of the course creation platform is to give you the tool to put all those pieces together, to drag and drop in your videos, to put the PDFs below it, to give your students a place where they can A, check out and purchase this course, and then B, actually go through the experience. It's a login. It's you know gated. You have to pay in order to access it. And then they go through it in sequence. You do not need to be tech savvy to use any of these course creation platforms. I do have a free toolkit that we'll include in the show notes called the course creation toolkit. And it includes all of my favorites on all of these things. So you'll find that in the show notes. But just to keep it again, high level, teachable where I used to work. That's one example where you would take all your curriculum, build it in this platform, and now you have your cohesive course experience. The other two Cs are for communication and conversion. Communication asks the question, how do you communicate with students? How might they communicate with you? And can they communicate with each other? The simplest answer to all of the above is that you need a way to probably email students, which means you need an email service provider like your favorite Flowdesk or any other option. And then on top of that, you will need at minimum a support email address, somewhere where students can go when they get questions, whether it's logistics questions, strategy questions. There, there are so many other options, but just to keep it high level, communication is very important. And then the final C, conversion. Students need a way to learn about this course and pay you money. So across all of those four Cs, you can do the majority of them with your online course platform. That's where you build it. That's where the checkout is, all of that. And then to build curriculum, 
you would use tools you're probably already familiar with. PowerPoint, Canva, Google Slides, Google Docs is what I use for workbooks because I personally don't love a PDF. I like to have something either printable or that I can type in. But that's the majority of what you're using, plus maybe a microphone and a webcam. So I do think it's simpler than most people think. And hopefully this is a little bit reassuring about the process. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. I think that, you know, we, again, we have this idea in our head of what we think goes on behind the scenes of all these like things we see being presented online when really it's so much easier. And even like people like I'm not the most tech savvy person. That's not what I do. It's not what I bring to the table, but I can use platforms like Teachable and Flowdesk and things like that because they do make them super user user friendly. They're designed for people to have the ability to create things like we've been talking about today without the you know, the wall of having to understand the tech behind it. They take care of all that for you and makes it incredibly, incredibly easy. So, and I love the four C's. I love alliterations. That makes me really happy. (laughs) Um, But I know for me personally, like that was a fear or kind of a block that I had was like, how do I make this thing happen? And um, like my first program I ever created was inside of Kajabi and it made it, I mean, that was, they have all the bells and whistles and all the things, but I still felt like I could easily create within that platform. And it, like you said, it had everything in one place. I wasn't having to go and go, okay, I got to figure out how to upload these things. And then I have to connect it to this other thing. And then I have to have a third thing for the payments. And it's, it's so simple. Um, and they have people I'm sure who on their teams that are all that will help you. And there's all kinds of resources and things like that. So tech is intimidating as it might be like in our minds, it's once you dive into it, it's really not the the piece. I find personally the curriculum part, like for me, the part of actually coming up with like, what is it that I want to put into my course is the, is the harder part compared to the tech part for me. I think that's a very smart uh, realization to have because the tech can be taught. And in fact, like we're talking about, it's probably simpler than most people might think, which is great. But to me, what sets the really effective courses apart is can they help somebody reach an outcome? Like, do they actually do the thing that they promised to do? And so, although we've talked a lot about tech and marketing, which I really enjoy, to me, a big void that I saw in the course creation industry, and I feel like as a teacher, you'll relate to this, is just the fact that learning how to teach your own skill is in itself a new skill for a lot of people. And so that's part of the process I feel really passionately about is like, how do you translate what you know And then figure out how do I communicate that to somebody else in a way that serves them and to kind of put myself in their shoes to say like, what does my student need right now at this moment? How could I be of service to them? How can I help them move forward? And how can I help them get unstuck? Yeah. And I've even seen people promoting, you know, courses where it's like in that beta mode where they're like, I'm literally, like you said, Zoom, like we're just going to hop on Zoom once a week and I'm going to teach you what I know. And that doesn't require a ton of the tech piece to it, or they'll be like, I'm going to email you once a week with a video that you're going to watch and a PDF workbook worksheet that's going to go with it. Like if you want to put, if you want to get what you have available to teach people out into the world, there are ways to do it very low tech, but at the same time, these platforms, like you said, are such a tool to help make it more polished and cohesive and everything's together. But I'm my whole point that is like, there's so many different ways to deliver the message that that should not be what stops you from getting your content out there. It's more about perfecting the content you're sending out into the world. Totally. And I think a theme of this whole conversation too, is to start simpler. I think where I see a lot of my course creators aim, they have this big vision for their course and what it'll look like and all these bells and whistles and these cool add-ons and this big community and all these things. That's amazing. If that is your long-term goal for what the course would evolve into. But the whole purpose of this course lifecycle method is saying, you don't have to start there. You can pare it down. Ask yourself, what is the simplest possible way I could sell this? What is the simplest possible delivery? How can I really help these students reach their outcome, which is the most important part? Even down to things like a sales page. I know that really intimidates a lot of people. You've seen big sales pages, very fancy, built on these websites. And I have a WordPress website currently. But when I was doing beta rounds of my course creator program, I was using a page I built in Notion, a free note-taking app. I've seen people use Google Docs, same thing. And that Notion page has earned me $100,000 before I actually built a proper page on my website. So if you think it's the tech holding you back, I'll bet A, it's simpler than you might imagine, which hopefully is a relief. But B, there's also just probably a simpler way to get started where you don't have to go all in with all the bells and whistles. And you can really ask yourself, what is most important? 
to collect the payment and deliver a great experience. Stay with us. We'll be right back. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Yeah. Oh, so good. So one last thing I want to touch on, and this is more of just kind of an observation I want to make before we kind of wrap up here is I love that, you know, when someone probably sees the title of this episode talking about course creation, one thing that I see in like all these Facebook groups or forums that I'm in about this, you know, around this topic is pricing. And I love that, like, Nothing that you have mentioned today has even touched on pricing because that's not, in my opinion, and and you can tell me what your thoughts are. To me, that is like the last, one of the last things that you need to focus on when it comes to course creation, because it's more, it's not about like, what am I going to price my course? I mean, I know people that have like clients that I've worked with. And one of the first things they'll say is, well, I want to create this course, but how much should I charge for it? I'm like, well, you haven't even created it yet. Like, how do you know, like what, you know, so I'm just curious, kind of wrapping up, like, what are your thoughts on when and how pricing becomes a factor? Pricing is, I'm sure no surprise to anyone. One of the questions I've asked about the most frequently, huge topic, super important. I could talk about it for hours. Well, I mean, we're all here to make money. Like it makes sense. I get it. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that maybe to offer like my best advice is that imagine for a second that somebody might be like a Squarespace website designer. They could offer a done-for-you service. They could charge $3,000, $5,000, multi-thousands of dollars to actually design someone's Squarespace website. They could offer a course that might be how to DIY your own website that has the exact same outcome. Maybe that's $500 or $1,000. We're just using directional example prices. Somebody else could write a Squarespace book, and that would be $30 on Amazon. And so what I think is fascinating about pricing is that people always say, It's about the magnitude of the transformation. Like how different is this person's life? And that is part of it. But then if you look at the same way, we have the same offer packaged in three different ways with three different prices. You start to realize that that's not the whole equation. So there are other things that people are willing to pay for. And one of the biggest ones is certainty. People want to reach their results. And if you hire somebody to do it for you, the certainty level that it will actually happen is so much higher because you're not doing the work. And then one level below that, you would pay way more for a course because you're going to get step-by-step demos or tutorials or workbooks. If you read a book, you're probably just going to skim through it, get some basic info. But your own confidence that you would actually reach this result is probably pretty low because books are not built that well to actually give you the accountability to reach your goal. So people are willing to pay for more certainty and they want to do something with as little energy, time, money, stress as possible. So the more you can kind of lighten the load and increase their certainty, that's going to affect your pricing. And that's why even though I am the one who built Teachable's pricing calculator, it's a spreadsheet years ago, I am sure they have updated it by now. But it is really hard to build a pricing calculator because you can't quantify any of those things individually. It really is about you and your business. And I think people are seeking answers to this question, what should I price my course? Ironically, because they're looking for certainty. They want to know that they're doing it right. And so my best advice, having said all of that and saying, I can't give everyone an exact price, is to really take a hard look at how would this change somebody's life? Like, what is the magnitude of this transformation that does still matter? But then think about, are you helping them do it faster? Are you offering them more certainty? Are you offering a course where they could complete something in a weekend versus two months? Like, even little things like that affect the pricing. So try not to even really pay too much attention to what you see other people doing. Definitely don't look at course marketplaces like Udemy or Skillshare. They're playing a totally different game. If you have a one-on-one offer, the course most likely will be packaged at a smaller price point because it's less of your time, less certainty, and all of the above. But I would choose the price that maybe feels a little high. I think more people tend to underprice. Charge at least $100 for a signature course, if not, I would say like 500 or more. Like If you really want a product that's going to add revenue to your business. 
versus being more of a lead gen opportunity for your business. I would aim for an outcome worth at least $100 because that'll give you, I think, the, the means and the opportunity to scale it up and earn significantly. But it's definitely not an exact science. I know that's a frustrating answer, but hopefully this still gives people a sense of like, choose the price, feel confident. By the way, you can change it later. You can increase the price over time or you could decrease it. If you remove yeah. your involvement from the course, it might decrease. So there's my roundabout non-answer answer that is hopefully still helpful and useful to listeners tuning in. No, I think that's great. I loved the example of like the Squarespace uh, scenario because that makes perfect sense. At the end of that, each person's probably going to have some version of their Squarespace website, but it's the certainty, it's the confidence they have in either their ability or some, you know, that's where the price point difference comes in. That's a really great, great example. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that, I mean, honestly, like anybody that's asking, should, like when they go in, and this is kind of drives me nuts, a little side trail here is when I go into these Facebook groups and I see, and it's not even always you know course creation, it's what should I price my photo sessions? What should I price this um, service that I'm offering or this new product that I have? Everybody's just looking for like almost validation to say like, oh yeah, you're, you're, you're in the right place or it's, it's worth that. And there is no right answer and there is no wrong answer. And so when people ask that question, it's kind of like, well, you're, you're going to get the answer that either you want or you don't want, but either way, like, is it still like the right thing? I don't know. So I just think that it's such a popular question and yet it's like the hardest question to answer. So yes. I, I think you did a great job. And I, again, I love that analogy of kind of the the different levels. You know, we see all kinds of examples. I saw one the other day about like the water bottles. It's like you can go into like a convenience store and buy a water, you know, a bottle of water for this price. You can go to, um, you know, like a high-end grocery store and you buy a bottle of water for this price. You go onto an airplane, you buy a bottle of water because this price. It's the same thing. But where, but it's all, it's more about like the perceived value based on where you are and who you're selling that bottle of water to. Exactly. And it's a misconception that pricing is logical. Pricing is emotional. And then we use logic to justify our purchase. And so another reason why pricing is so challenging is because buyers are illogical actors. Like we are making these emotional decisions. So there is no right answer, but that frees us up. That tells me there is no such thing as a wrong answer. I love that you said that. So I would just say like, choose the price that you feel is right to start with. Have the freedom to change it in the future if needed. And I will add maybe one more note, which is that sometimes people want to underprice because they have this perception that either it will sell more easily or that they want to have an offer that is more accessible. And so they come to me and they say, I want to have something that's inexpensive so that it's more accessible so I can sell more. But every study that I've seen from Teachable's customers to course creators I've talked with shows that a small percentage of your audience is actually willing to pay much more. And in fact, they are better customers because they are more committed to the outcome and they want to reach it. And if you underprice your offer, you undercut the value and people will not purchase it. Like if I sold a complete course creation program, scale your business up to $100,000 program, and I told you it was $15, you might buy it because it's $15, but you probably wouldn't do anything with it because you wouldn't believe that it's worth that value. Yeah. So just make sure that you are not underselling yourself because even if you think that's of service to other people, you are most likely hurting yourself and your buyers in the process. Yeah. Uh, that's such a good point, the perception of it. And that's true. Like, I mean, there are people, and I've said this in the photography sense too, of like there are people that when you lower your prices, you are excluding a whole group of people who now see you as less valuable. And so they're not willing, even though you may have the greatest product or service out there, in, in your niche, they're, they're not going to buy it because they're like, oh, well, if it's only $15, how good can it really be? But if it was $150 or $550, they'd be all in. So yeah, I think that's a great point too. Well, Melissa, thank you so much. This has been super informative. I took so many notes. Um, and I hope that anyone listening this, I feel like this is going to give them a really good jumping off point because we've covered everything kind of that you need to know, the mindset, the how-to, the tech, the the pricing, all the things. And so if anyone's listening and they're thinking about creating a course um, or have maybe started the process, hopefully this gave them just the extra push they need to get that going. So tell everybody if they want to, I know you mentioned you have the toolkit for everybody. They'll be in the show notes. 
Tell us a little bit more about that and then how people can find you if they want to work with you or follow you or get to know you a little better. Yeah. So if you're interested in learning more about the exact platforms, I recommend side-by-side comparisons of the course creation platforms, equipment, all that good stuff. You can download my free online course toolkit at witnwire.com slash course toolkit. And if you are just interested in more online course tips or online business strategies, you can follow me on TikTok at witnwire or on YouTube at witnwire. Perfect. Well, thank you again so much for being here and um, have a wonderful rest of your day. And we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And as always, you can find any links or resources mentioned in today's show down in the show notes. And if we're not friends outside the podcast yet, then what are you waiting for? Come find me on Instagram at Girl Means Business. Send me a DM letting me know what you thought of today's episode or any of the past episodes you've listened to. You can also take a screenshot of today's episode and post it to your stories tagging at Girl Means Business, and I'll give you a shout out on my page. I love connecting with you and hearing all about your business and can't wait to get to know you more. I hope you have a wonderful week and I will meet you back here next week, same time, same place.